I am hyped beyond hyped to do this movie this morning because this is my favorite movie of all time, you guys. Anybody, anytime somebody says, hey, Dan, what's your favorite movie? I always give them this exact answer. So I'm really stoked to talk about my favorite movie. Second reason I'm excited is because this, by covering this one film today, we actually get to cover six movies in one because every single film in this franchise is basically the exact same movie over and over and over again. It's just different locations. And I know you might think to yourself, well, that's lazy. Shouldn't you know movies be innovative? and totally different every time? No, when the first, when the original is this good, you don't mind seeing it told multiple times again and again and again. And I really love that we get to discuss this movie today because it is one of the most successful and influential films that has ever been made. It single-handedly uh, jump-started the revolution of using computer-generated imagery in movies. So all the movies that you watch today that have all these crazy special effects, this is, the, this is the film that really brought that to the masses. I'm also excited about it because it has one of the most iconic soundtracks of all time, and that matters to me. And finally, I'm stoked about this movie because it has velociraptors, you guys. You don't get better than that. Today, we are talking about Jurassic Park. Yes. Oh man, I'm telling you, this movie is so good, so good, so good. Now, I'm not going to give you a lot of plot recap on Jurassic Park because the story is so well known. But just in case you haven't seen this movie since like 1993, let me just real quick remind you, the story centers around an eccentric billionaire who hires a team of scientists and engineers to, uh, to clone dinosaurs, right? He clones these dinosaurs from insects that are preserved in amber, and he decides to have a soft launch opening of his theme park in which he invites some VIPs uh, to come and experience the thing. But as you know, it all goes horribly wrong. And the message that we're going to walk away with this morning is how do I respond or how does God want me to respond when everything in my life goes horribly, horribly wrong? We're going to learn a lot from this movie and we're going to learn a lot from the scripture. Now, before I roll the first clip, you're like, dude, stop talking and just show the movie. I get it. I get it. But before I roll the first clip, I've got to say something that is going to seem very obvious in the beginning, but I wonder if it's going to lead to a less obvious insight. Jurassic Park is what we call a monster movie, okay? Duh. The whole film is about monsters, it's about creatures that are causing chaos and destruction, and you can totally kick back, put your feet up, eat some popcorn this morning, and you can enjoy these clips from Jurassic Park simply as an action movie, you know? It's got lots of adventure. It's got tons of chaos and explosions. It's got, um, you know, near misses as people are trying to escape from all the, um, I almost said dragons, all the dinosaurs, you know, like you could totally enjoy it on that level. But if you dig deeper underneath the surface of Jurassic Park, and in fact, underneath the surface of every monster movie that Hollywood makes, there is a deeper truth that's being communicated here. See, the truth that Jurassic Park is going to want you to understand is that the, the, the monsters are not external. What they're going to show us is that the monsters are actually internal. That the things that we should be afraid of, the threats that we face are not out there somewhere, but they're actually inside of each and every one of us. Every single monster movie that Hollywood makes 
ultimately wants us to realize that the biggest monsters of all are inside the human heart and the human mind. And so you're going to see this theme play out throughout the movie, and we're going to see how that really does overlap with what the scripture teaches. In fact, we could look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter number seven, and we see that, yeah, this is true according to our Savior. Look at what Jesus said. He says, then Jesus, uh, the scripture says, then Jesus called the crowd to come and hear all of you listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes from your heart. The threats that you and I face are not external out there somewhere. The biggest threats we face are inside of each one of us. Then Jesus went into a house to get away from the crowd and his disciples asked what he meant by the parable he had just used. Don't you understand either, Jesus asked? It is what comes from inside that defiles you. For from within, out of a person's heart, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murderous thoughts, adultery, greed, wickedness, deceit, lustful desires, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Jesus says, all these vile things come from within. And these are the things that have the power to destroy you. We're going to come back to this thought in just a moment, but I want to roll our first clip from the movie. It features one of the stars of the show, a paleontologist named Alan Grant. And he's on an excavation site in Montana, and he is discussing his controversial theory that dinosaurs evolved into birds, all right? Now, I know like that E word is kind of a hot button word in the church and stuff, so don't get hung up on that. I don't really care what you believe on that. Um, We're not going to focus on that. I want you to focus on the conversation he has. And in this conversation, Dr. Grant is actually going to spell out the theme of the entire movie for us. So let's roll clip number one, Jurassic Park. Yeah, it's good shape too. It's five, six feet high, I'm guessing nine feet long. Look at the extraordinary... What did you do? He touched it. <laughs> Dr. Grant's not machine compatible. I got it in for me. Now look at the half moon shaped bones on the wrist. It's not one of these guys learn how to fly. No, seriously. (laughs) Well, maybe dinosaurs have more in common with present-day birds than they do with reptiles. Look at the pubic bone, turned backward, just like a bird. Look at the vertebrae, full of air sacs and hollows, just like a bird. And even the word raptor means bird of prey. That doesn't look very scary. (laughs) More like a six-foot turkey. <laughs> Turkey, huh? No, no. Okay. There Try to imagine go. yourself in the Cretaceous period. You get your first look at this six foot turkey as you enter a clearing. He moves like a bird, lightly bobbing his head. And you keep still because you think that maybe his visual acuity is based on movement like T Rex. He'll lose you if you don't move. But no, not Velociraptor. You stare at him. He just stares right back. And that's when the attack comes, not from the front, but from the side. From the other two raptors, you didn't even know were there. Because Velociraptor's a pack hunter, you see. He uses coordinated attack patterns, and he is out in force today. And he slashes at you with this. Six-inch retractable claw, like a razor, on the middle toe. He doesn't bother to bite your jugular like a lion, say. No, no. He slashes at you here or here. Or maybe across the belly, spilling your intestines. Point is, 
You are alive when they start to eat you. So, you know, try to show a little respect. Okay. All right, so the boy says, that doesn't sound scary. More like an overgrown turkey. He is careless and cavalier about something that will cause a great deal of destruction and death later in the film. That's important. And although he doesn't use these exact words, Dr. Grant essentially says to the boy and to me and you by extension that we should be really careful, that we shouldn't take this lightly. His point is we tend to toy with things that should terrify us. We tend to toy with things that should terrify us. His, his response to this young kid, it's a reminder that this kid has no idea the kind of power that he's dealing with in this moment. Now, I want you to remember my statement from a moment ago that in this film, the dinosaurs are not the real threat. The dinosaurs are personifications of the stuff inside of us that we should be very afraid of. And so this scene sets up the theme of the entire movie that humans have a tendency to toy with things that should terrify them. We toy with, in this case, pride, the idea that we understand and control things that really we don't. Now, you might remember from Mark chapter number seven, the passage that we just read a moment ago, that pride is one of those internal threats that Jesus mentions, a sin that we should be very, very wary of. It is something that has destructive power in our life, and if we don't take it seriously enough, it can cause chaos and death. But I want you to notice that Jesus highlights a whole lot of other things in this passage as well. He gives tons of different threats, internal issues. We can call them sins or whatever you want to call them that we should not take lightly. We tend to toy with these things when in reality, we should be terrified of them. Um, We think with a lot of these things, as long as it's all in my head, then it's not that big of a deal, right? As long as these are just thoughts and they never work their way out into actions, then I don't have to sweat it too much and I can remain in control. We also tend to think, well, as long as nobody else finds out about what I'm thinking or what I'm doing, then it's really not a problem. But we end up making the exact same mistake as this young boy did, a mistake that Jesus warned us against, that if we're not careful, our our tendency to toy with things that we should be terrified of can lead to a lot of destruction. So, why are we so quick to toy with stuff that should terrify us? Why do we flirt with things that we should flee from? Well, we're going to see in this second clip, it's because usually our initial exposure to these things is positive. That might be a surprise to you, but you'll see what I mean after we roll this second clip. All 50 miles of perimeter fence are in place. And the concrete moats and the motion center tracking systems. Donald's dear boy, relax. Try and enjoy yourself. 
Let's get something straight, John. This is not a weekend excursion. This is a serious investigation of the stability of the island. Your investors, whom I represent, are deeply concerned. 48 hours from now, if they're not convinced, I'm not convinced. I shut you down, John. <laughs> In 48 hours, I'll be accepting your apologies. I shouldn't be here. Alan, this species of veriformin's been extinct since. The Cretaceous period. I mean, this thing is about this thing. Why? Totally wrong. This is a warm-bodied creature. This thing doesn't live in a swamp. This thing's got, what, a 25, 27-foot neck? Brachiosaur 30. The T-Rex is 32 miles an hour. T-Rex? Mm-hmm. You said you've got a T-Rex? Uh-huh. Say again. <laughs> we have a T-Rex. Oh. Put, put your head between your knees. <laughs> Dr. Grant. My dear Dr. Sattler. Welcome to Jurassic Park. All right, so I want you guys to notice here that Dr. Grant and Dr. Sattler are so in awe of their first experience with dinosaurs that they have already forgotten everything they said in the last scene. Remember all his talk about like, don't take these things lightly. They'll gut you when you're not looking. You know, this is not something to toy with. The moment he sees the dinosaurs, all that goes out the window. When they're face to face with these things, they're, they're not thinking these are terrifying. They're thinking they're terrific. You see their attitude change. They're no longer saying, oh, this is something to fear. Now they're saying maybe this is something that we should embrace. And come on, who wouldn't want to embrace a big old dinosaur like that? That would be incredible, right? This is precisely what we experience when we first encounter sin. When we first, when we encounter one of these internal threats that Jesus mentions in Mark chapter number seven, it is almost always a positive experience, at least in the beginning. Do you guys realize that? Sin is usually enjoyable at first. 
Does that surprise you? Are you surprised to hear a pastor say that sin can actually be a lot of fun? Let's be real, you guys. If sin wasn't fun, at least in the beginning, people wouldn't be doing it. So we tend to get enamored with the positive experience that we have initially with these things like sin. And instead of taking it very seriously, we end up taking it very, very lightly. Um, You know this is true. You've experienced this many times in your own life. Like maybe... um, Maybe uh, in in your life, there's somebody who treated you badly. You know, they just did you wrong. They said something cruel in front of a bunch of people or whatever it might be. And so when you get back home or you get back to your cubicle, you start to daydream, you know, about like all the things you wish you would have said to that person in the moment or all the things that you could do to them in the future to cut them down to size and get back at them for the way they just treated you. And what happens? You feel better right? You're like, ah, now I feel a little bit better about what just happened because I had this little revenge fantasy in my mind. It's totally true, right? Maybe um, you start up this little kind of, you know, flirty relationship with that chick at the office. And, you know, for a while you're feeling pretty good about it because it seems harmless enough and you're both having fun and it proves you still got it. You know, you're 38 years old, but the chicks still want you. And so in the beginning, it seems positive seems enjoyable. It seems something that you should embrace. This is the way sin and temptation works in our lives. Our first exposure is something that entices us. It causes us to want to keep going. And what happens is we think we can control these situations because they seem so small. They seem so harmless. It's like, oh, I can manage this. If it ever gets too crazy, if it ever spins out of control, then, you know, I'll I'll be able to cut it off. And so we find ourselves saying things like, don't sweat it. It's just a couple drinks. It's just one edible. It ain't going to hurt me, right? Oh, she only spends the night every so often. It's not like all the time. Oh, don't worry. I'll just put it on the MasterCard. We'll worry about how we're going to pay for it later. We take these temptations and we, we end up embracing, engaging, and, and letting them win us over because they're usually pretty enjoyable in the beginning. Did you notice how uh, Dr. Satt and Dr. Grantler, their first exposure to the dinosaurs was a herbivore? It was a, it was a gentle giant that made them think, oh, this is, this is wonderful. This, I mean, how could this ever go wrong, Right? Can you imagine what would have happened if from the jump, like T-Rex had burst out of the bushes and was chasing their Jeep? From the jump, they would have been like, this is a bad idea. Get those helicopters back here. But because they were eased into it, by the time they realized what was actually going on, it was far too late. Now, that moment of realization that, oh, man, we thought we could control this. We've been toying with something that should have terrified us, but we kind of got enamored in the moment and went too far. That realization, it came when this group of VIPs was on a tour of the park. And they get to the Tyrannosaurus enclosure. And at that exact moment, a tropical storm hits the island. They lose power, and they are stranded in their cars just on the opposite side of an electric fence. So we're going to roll clip number three, and i got to tell you, if you're a vegetarian, you're not going to like this clip very much. I'm sorry about that. But let's roll clip number three, one of the most iconic movie scenes of all time.
radio's out, too. Janera said to stay put. Kids okay? I didn't ask. Why wouldn't they be? Kids get scared. Who wants to be scared? I just a little hiccup in the power. Yeah, I didn't all. say I was scared. I didn't say you were scared. I know. Boo! Hey, where did you find this? It locks under my seat. Are they heavy? Yeah. Then they're expensive. Put them back. you think he's going when you gotta go you gotta go still get tense watching that. I've seen this movie dozens and dozens of times, and I'm always like, oh my goodness, it's a T-Rex. When you watch this, it's incredibly obvious that the T-Rex has this raw, untamable power, right? 
These people were so foolish to believe that they could control something like that. And over the next few minutes, this dino is going to go on a destructive rampage. And these people that we were just witnessing, they are going to be lucky to survive the encounter at all. The principle, I think, is this. When we toy with things that should terrify us, we will eventually lose control. When we toy with things that should terrify us, we will eventually lose control. So I want you to look at what James, who was one of Jesus' earliest followers, had to say in the book of James, chapter number one. James says this, temptation comes from our own desires. Where is temptation? Where is sin? Where are the threats that we face? Are they out there somewhere? No. They come from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away like a T-Rex. These desires give birth to sinful actions. I added the T-Rex part. I just want to be clear on that, okay? (laughs) These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it eventually gives birth to death. James uses this metaphor of a life cycle to communicate how dangerous it is for us to toy with temptation. The things that Jesus listed in Mark chapter number seven that we treat lightly, that we act are not that big of a deal. James says, listen, when you have a desire, if you let it fester long enough, it will eventually conceive its way into your life in the form of bad thoughts and unhealthy actions. And initially you're gonna enjoy it And you're going to think it's manageable and controllable. But sooner or later, it is going to grow too big for you to contain. And when that happens, something that started as as so small and innocent is going to lead to destruction and death in your life. I know some of you guys are like, Dan, you're being real dramatic, bro. I understand that, okay? But I want you to think for just a moment about how many marriages end in destruction because partners started taking each other for granted. It's such a small thing, such a little thing. Well, you never do anything for me, so why should I do anything for you, right? It's so little in the beginning, and it feels good to say what you think and let them know how they're making you feel, but eventually it has the power to devour an entire relationship. Think about how many people start compromising on their health in their 20s and 30s, and by the time they get to their 50s, they are facing real threats to their well-being right? Think about how many people try to take shortcuts at work. They, they decide, okay, if I cheat a little bit here, or I take this shortcut, then I can get ahead in my career. And it works. And so it becomes the new way of doing business, right? Because it worked the first time. I got ahead. And so I'm going to keep doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it until you get busted and it all collapses down in on you right? When we toy with things that should terrify us, we will eventually lose control. And that means we should be terrified of these things from the very beginning and not give them opportunity to to cause us to lose control in our lives. So when, when, when this happens, when we toy with things that should terrify us, we find ourselves on the brink of disaster. Our families, our relationships, our finances, our spirituality, it all ends up on the brink because we didn't take seriously the warnings that had been given to us all along about the potential inside of every single one of us. So we're going to return to Jurassic Park one final time here. And, and what's going to happen is, you know, given the fact that every dinosaur on the island has now gotten loose, given the fact that 
multiple people have died, given the fact that they are not, the survivors are not even sure how they're going to get to safety and escape and evacuate and all of that, you would think that everybody would realize this was a dumb idea, right? We should not have done this. We're going to learn from our mistakes and uh, we're going to get out of here and never, you know, try to attempt anything like this again. But as we'll see in this final conversation between Dr. Sattler and um, John Hammond, the park's creator, some people refuse to learn from their errors. There are people who will double down on the attitudes and actions that got them into trouble in the first place. And then you and I are going to be forced to ask, will we make that same mistake? Let's roll the final clip. get the children through Jurassic Park than a dinosaur expert. You know the first attraction I ever built when I came down from Scotland? It was a flea circus, Petticoat Lane. Really quite wonderful. We had uh, a wee trapeze and a uh, uh, merigot, um, Carousel. Huh. And a seesaw. They all move, motorized, of course, but uh, people would say they could see the fleas. Oh, I can see the fleas, Mummy, can't you see the fleas? Clown fleas and high wire fleas and fleas on parade. This place. I wanted to show them something that wasn't an illusion. Something that was real. Something that they could see and touch. An aim not devoid of merit. But you can't think through this one, John. You have to feel it. <laughs> You're right, you're absolutely right. Harry Nedry was a mistake, that's obvious. We're over-dependent on automation, I can see that now. Now the next time, everything's correctable. Creation is an act of sheer will. Next time it'll be flawless. It's still the flea circus. It's all an illusion. When we have control again. You never had control, that's the illusion. I was overwhelmed by the power of this place. But I made a mistake, too. I didn't have enough respect for that power, and it's out now. The only thing that matters now are the people we love. Alan and Lex and Tim. John, they're out there where people are dying. We see that John Hammond, he carries the exact same fatal mindset that put all of this into motion. He hasn't let go of it. He says, when we regain control, the next time 
it's going to be flawless. He thinks that by his own power and ingenuity that he can play with fire and not get burned. Sadly, Mr. Hammond's attitude is going to reap destruction over the course of like five more films, okay? His mindset is going to continue to result in people dying, in chaos, destruction, tragedy. On the other hand, Dr. Sattler has a change of mind. She realizes that the threat was never the dinosaurs. The threat was humanity's tendency to believe that they are in control and they can avoid the consequences of their bad decisions. And so you and I are forced to ask, are we going to learn from our mistakes like Dr. Sadler or are we going to double down on our foolishness like John Hammond did? Will we try to maintain the illusion of control or will we cry out to rescue or for rescue from God? Because ultimately, I think this is what God wants us to do. When life spins out, when things get chaotic and crazy and we are not in control, God wants us to cry out to him for rescue. The promise that God makes to us is that even if we find ourselves in a mess of our own creation, he will save us if we seek him. I'm going to read one final section of verses to you. It's Psalm chapter 34. Look at what the promise of God is here. The Lord hears his people when they call to him for help. He rescues them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to the rescue each time. Calamity will surely destroy the wicked, but the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. I love this because look, you're going to find yourself in, in circumstances, in messes in your life. And some of them are beyond your control. You didn't start the mess. You're not responsible for cleaning up the mess. You just happen to be stuck in it. And the good news is God sees you and he's willing to rescue you. And if you find yourself in the middle of a mess that you started because you were toying with things that you should have been terrified of, you took lightly things that should have been taken very, very seriously, even if you have made a wreck of things, you can still cry out to God and he will rescue you. So we're going to end with a couple of questions for reflection here. And you don't have to answer these out loud, but boy, do I hope that you'll answer them honestly in your heart between you and your heavenly father. The first question is this, what have I been flirting with that I should be fleeing from? What have I been flirting with that I should be fleeing from? What's the internal threat that I've taken lightly, that I thought I could control, that I thought I could manipulate, that I thought I could enjoy for a little while, that instead I should have been running far and fast away from? Now listen, this question, it has the power to save some marriages today. This question has the power to keep some people out of bankruptcy. This question can reignite your relationship with God. So don't ignore the question and don't gloss over the answer. What have I been flirting with in my life that I should be fleeing from? What have I been toying with that should have terrified me all along? If you're thinking through an answer to that and something comes to mind, good, hold it there for a sec. And if you're thinking, I don't know, nothing really. I, I can't think of a single thing. Think harder because every single one of us are prone to toy with things that have the power to destroy us. Name it. Confess it. Don't hide it and don't try to control it until it spins out and you've got nothing to do but to scream to God for help. Second question is this. 
What is keeping me from asking God to rescue me in this situation? What is keeping me from asking God to rescue me in this situation? Maybe like John Hammond, you think, oh, I'm still in control and things are not that bad and I can manage the situation. Eventually, if you toy with things that should terrify you, you will lose control. Bro, your wife is gonna find out. Your employer is gonna know what's going on. The cops are gonna show up. Your heart is gonna be turned in on itself so that you can no longer be generous and loving and good and kind. If we toy with these things for long enough, we will lose control. So maybe that's why you've not cried out to God for help. Maybe though, you haven't cried out to God because you assume God would be up in heaven looking down on you and you're like, God, help me, save me from the mess I created. And he's like, nah, bro, you got yourself into this mess. You better get yourself out of it. Listen, the only reason you would think that God would respond that way is because you don't know the character of your father in heaven. You see, God is not some cosmic policeman who's up there ready to punish everybody because they keep breaking the rules. Rather, the scripture tells us that God is like a father who cares for his children. Yes, God hates sin. But the reason God hates sin is because he sees how much destruction and death it reaps among his children. And so God's, his command to flee from sin, his command to deal with those internal things, it has nothing to do with him being angry with you, wanting to punish you. It has nothing to do with you being wrong. It has everything to do with God wanting to spare you from the heartache, the destruction, and even the death that may come about if you continue to flirt with things that you should uh, flee from. See, we don't cry out to God because he's powerful enough to save us if we prove we deserve it. The gospel, the good news that Jesus came to tell us was that even when we are in messes of our own creation, our father is loving enough to rescue us, even though we do not deserve it. So listen, answer honestly, what have I been flirting with that I should be fleeing from? And what is keeping me from crying out to God for rescue in this moment? Let's deal with it. Let's get beyond it. And let's live life overflowing in Jesus Christ. 